Open your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 27. We're thankful for each of you that are in the service tonight. And this is a tremendous Tuesday night crowd. I, like Dr. Bloom, am very mindful that there's any number of places you could be on a Tuesday night. But here you are in the house of God with the people of God getting ready to hear the Word of God. I so appreciate the choir as they have sung tonight and our brother who sang just a moment ago. Book of Acts chapter 27, and I'll take but one verse of Scripture for our text, and it will be verse number 44. Book of Acts chapter 27 and verse number 44. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. I've been thinking as I've been here this year and this week at the great uh, Central Baptist Church in Ocala, Florida, of the giants who have stood in this pulpit to preach. I've thought about uh, Dr. Bloom's dad, who for many years was at the helm of this church. I've thought about uh, Dr. Jack Hiles and Dr. Curtis Hudson, and I've thought about Dr. Lee Robertson, and I've thought about others, giants, who've stood in this pulpit. It was Dr. Lee Robertson who they called the Charles Haddon Spurgeon of his day. They called him Velvet Steel that said, Brother Osborne, when I had the joy of preaching with that hero of mine, Dr. Lee Robertson, he said, if I had to do my ministry all over again, Dr. Robertson was in his, uh, oh, 90s when he had made that statement. And so I was already tuned in. I was already seated on the edge of my seat. I was already hanging on every word. But when Dr. Robertson said in his 90s, if I had to do my ministry all over again, he said, I would preach more encouraging sermons. You know, from time to time, the people of God, they need, <coughs> they need messages of strength and solace and stanima. Some would have us believe that every time a preacher stands to preach, that he ought to skin people. I've never believed that. In fact, if you skin anything, you're going to kill it. I don't believe in skinning people when I preach. On the heels of that, let me say that I do, Brother Rhodes, believe in shearing the sheep awfully close, but I don't believe in skinning them. And so with the help of the Lord, I want to try to hit that target. I want to try to bowl down that alley. I want to try to uh, work down that row in preaching and encouraging truth. Book of Acts chapter 27 and verse number 44. I made a mental note to thank those of you that are watching by way of internet. Thank you so much for tuning in. And for $5, you send us $5 will send you a vial of holy oil. <laughs> uh, not really. I just have always wanted to say that. Book of Acts, chapter 27, and verse number 44. And the rest, some on boards, and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. There's a handful of words in this verse that I've underlined in my Bible, and you may want to underscore in yours. 
And it's those handful of words, and so it came to pass. Do you see it? There it is. And so it came to pass. And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, one phrase that'll get you through all the storms of life. (laughs) Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If in my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. And Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. During the spiritual existence of every saint of God, there's going to be the serious event of terrible tempests. The Bible is not only a handbook on salvation, but it's also an instruction manual on storms. And it states how the believer can survive all the swells and surges on the sea of their life, ministry, and walk with God. The tempest doesn't have to be the child of God's tombstone. One phrase that'll get you through all the storms of life. In the book of Acts, chapter 27, we find the Apostle Paul's sea voyage to Rome. This chapter could be easily or effortlessly uh, outlined like this. The centurion's consideration, verses 1 through 3. The cautious concern, verses 4 through (coughs) 13. The complete collapse, verses 14 through 20. The Christian's confidence, verses 21 through 26. The captain's command, verses 27 through 32. The cheerful company, verses 33 through 38. And then the certain creek, verses 39 through 44. It is well the physician Luke is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the certain creek that a person sees the single phrase for all the storms of their passage. 
Verse 44, and so it came to pass. Evangelist Oliver B. Green once wrote about our text. They all, the 276 souls, escaped a watery grave in the Mediterranean because of the providence of Almighty God. Then he ties up his thought by simply writing a remarkable instance of divine care of many in order to save one of God's servants. The sister verse of Acts 27, 44 is 2 Corinthians 1, 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Never forget, if just one servant of God made it through his physical storm, then every saint of God can make it through their spiritual storms. Oh, if you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating, if just one, if just one, if just one servant of God made it through his physical storm, then every saint of God can make it through their spiritual storms. Friend, you and I, uh, those of us up that are saved, can see the conclusion uh, of our calamity, and so it came to pass. Now quickly tonight, there are 10. There are 10 practical nuts and bolts things the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest, and they're all found here in Acts chapter 27. Let's quickly notice it tonight, and you may want to take out a pencil and somewhere in your Bibles scratch these things down, but my, how it would be far better if God would take an eternal pen and write these things upon my heart and upon your heart as well. One phrase that'll get you through all the storms of life. Number one, have prayer. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is have prayer. In verse 21, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul, after sensing the severity of the situation, goes straight to supplication. If a person, Dr. Bloom, uh, could step up inside a time machine uh, and there stand outside the cabin door of the Moses of the New Testament and press their ear to that entrance, they would hear him softly and sweetly singing from every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woe, there is a calm, a sure retreat, tis found beneath the mercy seat. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we have prayer. Oh, mark it down when in a storm, don't first look for a life jacket, uh, but uh, a prayer closet. The superintendent of a large factory wanted to talk with the company's manager about an urgent business matter. He went to the manager's office. The secretary said, the manager is in conference now 
and cannot be disturbed. But how can he be in conference when no one is in the office with him? Ask the superintendent. I must see him on a matter of great importance. You may come back in 15 minutes if you wish, said the secretary, or you may leave your message with me. At the present, he's not to be disturbed. The irate superintendent pushed by the secretary and quickly opened the door to the manager's private office. After a quick glance within, he quickly and quietly closed the door, said he apologetically to the secretary, why, uh, he's on his knees, he's praying. Yes, he's in conference, as I told you, answered the secretary. Oh, when you and I find ourselves in a tempest, when you and I find ourselves uh, uh, in uh, any kind of trouble, there's something we can do. And what we can do is what the Apostle Paul did, and that's simply have prayer. Number two, and I know I'm going to get stuck here. Number two, heed preaching. Verse 21, sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and have not loosed from Crete, and have gained this harm and loss. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is heed preaching. In verse 21, the physician Luke tells us that if the captain, the controller, uh, that uh, Dr. Bloom is the owner of the ship, the centurion and the crew had listened earlier, oh my, to the sermonizing of the Apostle Paul, they would not have been in this chancy scenario. Someone says, well, <laughs> I don't see a pulpit anywhere in this narrative. Uh, into that, uh, I simply say, uh, I do, and it's right there in verse 9. Paul admonished them. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity, and so it came to pass when we heed preaching. Now, there are several important things that the believer can learn about preaching that come from this block of Bible that, that come from this section of Scripture. Very important truths. First of all, uh, it's uh, uh, timely in its detail. Verse 9, now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous. Oh, uh, an important truth about Bible preaching that the believer needs to learn from this scene uh, is it's timely in its detail. Saint, when in a spiritual storm, tune in because God has a message from one of his servants just for you. Now, I don't know what Dr. Bloom preached a week ago Sunday morning, and I don't know what he preached a week ago Sunday night. And I don't know what he preached uh, uh, a week ago uh, uh, tomorrow night, a week ago Wednesday night. But I promise you, whatever God put on his heart, you not only needed it, but God was trying to help you for the storms that are ahead. And all God's sweet little children said? Amen. They said, ouch, that's what they said. 
And I think sometimes we come to church and I think sometimes uh, we hear the preaching and I think sometimes uh, we're in a meeting like this uh, and it just seems like uh, things are preached and things come from the pulpit uh, and uh, the Bible is proclaimed and I don't know Brother Osborne, Osborne it just seems like a lot of times uh, it uh, goes in one ear, it picks up speed and it flies out the other ear. I told Mrs. Hamlin, Mrs. Bloom just the other day, I said, I've come to realize that it seems like people do the opposite of what I say. So I must just start saying, yeah, if I were you, I would get a divorce. Yeah, if I were you, I'd quit on God. Yeah, if I were you, I'd leave the church. Because since they do the opposite, this is better than you're letting on. Since they do the opposite, Brother Carpenter, I think I go ahead and tell them that. And maybe then, this is funnier than you're letting on, then maybe they'll do right. You see an important truth about Bible preaching that the believer needs to learn from this scene is it's timely in its detail. Secondly, it's not touchy-feely in its delivery. Verse 10, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Uh, you see an important truth about Bible preaching that the believer needs to learn from this scene is uh, it's not touchy-feely in its delivery. The preacher that's really going to help you when you're in trouble isn't wearing a sweater on the platform and saying, after the service, meet me in the lobby for a biscotti and a latte. It's not touchy-feely in its delivery. And while I'm on that, let me go ahead and get on this. We're living in an hour where there are Rick Warren wannabes that are trying to hijack our fundamental movement. And don't bow your head. We're nowhere near closing in prayer time. We're living in an hour where Joel Olstein wannabes are trying to hijack our fundamental movement. And am, am I the only person that has a problem when a preacher's hair is nicer than his wife's? And we're living in an hour, dare I say it. Oh, Brother Osborne, you know I dare. We're living in an hour where Richard Simmons, uh, wannabes, uh, are trying to hijack uh, our fundamental movement. And the preacher that's going to help you and help your family when you're in trouble is not going to sound like one of those, uh, I don't know, nine lords a-leaping that are in the Christmas song. I'd much rather listen to a John Wayne wannabe than ever listen to a Pee Wee Herman wannabe. It's not touchy-feely in its delivery. Thirdly, it's tragedy in its dismissal. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Oh, an important truth about Bible preaching that the believer needs to learn from this scene uh, is uh, its uh, uh, tragedy in its dismissal. You'll always lose physically, and I will too, financially, and far more importantly, spiritually, when you turn a deaf ear towards a Bible message. Dr. Bloom wouldn't say it, 
But I will. I wonder in the years and now decades that he and his dear wife have been here, how many times we could fill this auditorium over with people that could have been helped if they simply would have listened to Bible preaching and godly counsel. Oh, that every single individual that is in this service and watching by way of internet and listening by way of radio would realize that what we need to learn as believers about Bible preaching, important truths from this scene, it's timely in its detail, it's not touchy-feely in its delivery, and it's tragedy in its dismissal. Newsflash, ignore scriptural sermons like water, off a duck's back and an individual has just thrown out the welcome mat for a tidal wave of heartache and heartbreak to wash over their entire life. Heed preaching. Number three, on a promise. Verse 24 saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hunt a promise. In verse 24, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul has gotten a vow from God that he's going to stake his life, a limb, and even his livelihood upon. Don't miss this. In this day in dispensation, Promises are not coming from the lips of God, but they are contained between the lids of the Word of God. And whatever you may be facing, whatever you may be going through, whatever you may be up against in this very service, I can assure you that there's a promise, that there's a promise. I can assure you that there is a promise somewhere in this Bible just for you. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we hunt a promise. The king of Italy and the king of Bohemia promised John Huss safe transport and secure custody. They broke their promise, however, Dr. Bloom, and Huss was martyred. Thomas Wentworth carried a document signed by King Charles I, which read, Upon the word of the king, he shall not suffer in life, honor, or fortune. Shortly afterwards, however, his death warrant was signed by the same monarch. Put not your trust in princes, were some of the last words for the carpenter of uh, Thomas Wentworth. Hallelujah, child of God. We can solidly put all our trust in the words of our King Jesus because he never has and he never will fail a lie detector test. Oh, when you and I are in trouble, when you and I are in a tempest, uh, there's something we can do. And what we can do, it's seen right here in Acts chapter 27, hunt a promise. Number four, habituate praise. Verse 25, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. 
a practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is habituate praise. In verse 25, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul declares to all those who are within earshot that they should be super excited. In fact, this is the second time uh, he tells them to raise a happy hand to heaven. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Verse 22, friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we habituate praise. Can I go ahead and preach? The best time to praise the Lord is when you don't feel like it and when it doesn't make any sense. I said the best time that we ought to praise the Lord is when we don't feel like it and it doesn't make any sense. You see, we act like the devil is omniscient and that's a great big long theological term for all-knowing. The devil's not omniscient. The devil's not all-knowing. All the devil knows is what we tell him and what he reads that we post on Facebook. When this coronavirus crisis started, which is now morphed in, which is now morphed in, which is now morphed in to coronavirus craziness, and by the way, if you ever see Anthony Fauci and he's got a black eye, <laughs> I did it. And if he's got two black eyes, I did that too. And friend, if you have not figured out by now that Anthony Fauci uh, is a political hack, if you have not figured that out by now, then you probably think wrestling's real too. <laughs> Ah, oh, we're having more fun than a barrel of monkeys. I realize the coronavirus is serious. I realize that. But at the same time, I also realize with Osborne that it has been exaggerated. It has been politicized. And now it is weaponized. And when all this started, coronavirus crisis, I was preaching in Dixon, Tennessee, and I was taking the elevator, Mrs. Bloom, to go down to the lobby, the entrance of the motel where my ride, my driver was to take me to the service that night. And I believe I was on the third floor and we stopped on the second floor and the fellow went to get in the elevator. And, and I mean, all of a sudden he stopped and he stared at me in his face. His face got about as white as this dress shirt. And he looked at me and he said, dude, you don't have a mask on. Which I replied, dude, neither do you. <laughs> he said, oh. Then he got on the elevator. Now listen, I realize it's real. I understand that. But at the same time, God help you and I to understand that this thing has been blown way out of proportion. 
And when it all started, I, I said to Mrs. Hamlin, I said, you know, I don't know what it is and I don't understand uh, the depth and the detail of it, but I said, you know what? I have not preached a, a victory all these decades to live in defeat now. And the best time to praise the Lord is when you don't feel like it and when it doesn't make any sense. And all oh, what you and I ought to do when we find ourselves in a tempest, when we find ourselves in trouble, what you and I ought to do is just go ahead and shout until we pass out. Charles Haddon Spurgeon that prince of preachers once said, you cannot glorify God better than a calm, joyous life. Oh, when you and I are in a tempest, what can we do? We can habituate praise. Number five, hone patience. Verse 29, then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast for anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hone patience. In verse 29, the physician Luke tells us uh, that the apostle Paul is simply uh, pausing in the storm until he gets clear direction where he's to place his next step. A person should put in the margin of their Bible next to verse 29, N period, C period, N period, no comment or commentary necessary. Friend, you and I uh, can see the conclusion of our calamity, and so it came to pass when we hone patience. This just in, when God has the believer in a holding pattern, they're not wasting a drop of fuel. Hone patience. Number six, hitch on to perseverance. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hitch on to perseverance. In verse 31, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul looks the most powerful on that ship, dead in the eyes, and basically tells them it isn't time to jump ship, boys. By the way, for the child of God, it is never the hour to give up on your marriage, your ministry, and the other meaningful things in your life. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we hitch on to perseverance. Dr. Bloom, I love what the great Italian commentator said, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. What's going on in my head? The great Italian Bible commentator Osborne said, it's not about whether you can take a punch. It's about whether you can take a punch and then return another punch. 
You know what old Rocky was saying? He was saying, don't quit. He was saying, don't give up. He was saying, don't uh, throw in the towel. And friend, listen, when you and I are in a tempest, uh, when you and I, I feel a preaching storm getting ready to break in here tonight. Really, I do. When you and I are in trouble, that's not the time to give up. Don't quit. When th- Success is failure. Turn inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight. When your heart is hit, it's when things seem worse. You mustn't quit. I'm no spiritual meteorologist. But I do know this, child of God who's in a storm. I do know this. You are closer to the end of your storm right now than you've ever been. Brother Carpenter, I'm not a spiritual meteorologist, but I know that wherever we are in our storm, whatever that time... What? This is such good preaching. I'm going to sign that Gideon Bible in my motel room twice. <laughs> wherever, Brother Carpenter, we may be, I'm not a spiritual meteorologist, but wherever we are on the timeline of a tempest, wherever we are, we're closer now to the end than we've ever been. Wouldn't it be sad to quit tonight? And the storm break in the morning. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be heartbreaking to quit this hour and the storm's over in the next minute? <laughs> you say, well, it's been rough. Ah, but listen, there's going to come an end. It's been hard. Oh, but listen. Here's going to come a conclusion. It's been difficult. I don't, I don't doubt that. But man, I'm no spiritual meteorologist. And I don't know what the timetable of, time of a tempest is. But I do know this. Wherever we are on that timetable, we're closer right now to the end, Dr. Woodard, than we've ever been. And we might as well just go ahead and hang on now. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. If you just think somewhere in your Christian life, whether you've been saved days or decades, somewhere in your Christian life, you can point to something and say, God's got me through that. And if God has gotten you through something in the past, I'm happy to report to you that he can get you through something in the present. Don't quit. Don't throw on the towel. Don't give up. I was preaching, Dr. Bloom, this message in a great Bible conference. And after the service, I went out with the moderator, a couple of the other preachers that were preaching with me. And over a meal... The moderator got a text message and it said, please tell Dr. Hamlin that I had 
papers filed for divorce. But after the sermon tonight, on one phrase that will get you through all the storms of life, I've torn up the papers and I'm going to stick it out. Observation that I've made in life, you get in the habit of quitting. You get in the habit of turning back. You get in the habit of throwing in the towel. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, whenever it gets a little hard, whenever it gets a little difficult, whenever there's a storm, when you get in the habit of always quitting and always throwing in the towel and always giving up, hey, when you get into that terrible habit, all of a sudden you'll be quitting on things that one day you'll wish to God you hadn't quit on. Hitch on to perseverance. Number seven, hold on to prudence. Verse 34, wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hold on to prudence. In verse 34, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul told all souls on the ship, don't skip supper. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we hold on to prudence. Keep your thinking cap on in sunshine and storm. I've never been able to figure out why a Christian would do something in a storm that they would never do before or after a storm. Now, somebody help me. If it's stupid, Before a storm, it'll be stupid in a storm. And if it's stupid, I don't know, after a storm, it's going to be stupid in a storm. Oh, hey, friend, what you and I ought to do when we find ourselves in a tempest, when we find ourselves in trouble, is hold on to prudence. Number eight, hatch a plan. Verse 39, and when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore uh, into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hatch a plan. In verse 39, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul comes up with a strategy for this situation. On a strictly personal note, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because 99% of the time, all of the failure in life or the work of God comes from not having some type of a game plan. <laughs> Say, well, Dr. Hamlin, I know this passage and their plan didn't work. Well, you get a homework voucher. You get a demerit voucher. Yes, you're right. And like old Mays Jackson used to say, you get 30 more minutes of recess. I understand their plan didn't work, but they had a plan. They had a plan. They had a plan. Now, I know it didn't work. 
I know it didn't work, but they had a plan. And so many times, let me circle the field and buzz the tower one more time. So many times, 99% of failure in life and the work of God is because we don't have a plan. Flying by the seat of our pants. And it's amazing, uh, Brother Carpenter, uh, when, it, when it goes good, we take the credit. And by the way, if you behaved, you could sit down here with the other adults. But anyhow... It's, it's amazing how if it, if it goes good, then, then we take the credit. If it goes bad, we blame God. Hatch a plan. Hatch a plan. Hatch a plan. Man, you, you get in a tempest, uh, get out a, a pen and a three-by-five card and hatch a plan. You say, well, what happens if the plan doesn't work? Like in Acts chapter 27, well, throw that three-by-five card away and get another three-by-five card and make another plan. You say, well, what if that plan doesn't work? Then go ahead and throw away that three-by-five card and get another three-by-five card and hatch another plan. You say, well, what if that plan doesn't work? Well, the woods are full of three by five cards, get another three by five card out, make another plan. What I'm saying to you is uh, when we're in trouble, when we're in a tempest, hatch a plan. General Dwight Eisenhower once said, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Hatch a plan. Number nine, Hard paddle. <laughs> Verse 43, And commanded they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hard paddle. In verse 43, the physician Luke tells us that the centurion, to save the life of the apostle Paul, stops the soldiers from killing all the prisoners and orders them that can swim to start for shore. A person must note that they do not hear Brother Paul leading a prayer meeting, but they do, Dr. Bloom, hear the loud splash uh, as he begins to breaststroke uh, to the beach in this part of the Bible. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity, and so it came to pass when we hard paddle. The 32nd president of the United States, <laughs> you know, a legitimate one. <laughs> Make America great again. The 32nd president of the United States, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said from a wheelchair, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Of course, you do understand that God expects us, expects us to tie the knot, hard paddle. And then number 10, and last of all, my time is gone, hope in providence. Not only have prayer, heed preaching, hunt a promise, habituate praise, hone patience, hitch on to perseverance, hold on to prudence, hatch a plan, hard paddle, Number 10, and last of all, hope in providence. Verse 44, and the rest, 
some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. A practical thing the believer can do to see the termination of their tempest is hope in providence. In verse 44, the physician Luke tells us that the apostle Paul and all on board make it to shore all soaked but still safe and sound. Here's a golden nugget from God's gold mine of His Word. If a saint could simply trust God in one of the worst storm scenes on the pages of the Scriptures, then every saint that followed Him can also trust God for the spiritual storm they find themselves in in this very hour. Why would you look at it? Verse number 14, the storm is given a name. There's several storms in the Bible. But Dr. Woodard, this is the only one, sir, you know. You're a Bible student. This is the only one, sir, that has a name. Storms in the Scripture. But this is the only one that has a name. And in verse number 14, we find it's called a Euroclidon. I don't ever do this. In fact, I frown on it when other people do it. But since I never do it, I guess I can do it every once in a while. And that, that name, Euroclidon, it's an interesting word because when you move it, and I never do this, Dr. Bloom, and I frown on when other people do it. And since I never do it, I guess I can do it every once in a while. He just pulled out rosary beads. That, that word Euroclidon, when you move it from the Greek language to the English language, it means mother-in-law. <laughs> mother-in-law <laughs> means mother-in-law. That storm has a name. And sir, ma'am, the storm you're in has a name as well. God's in control. God's not shocked by the tempest I'm in. God's not shocked by the trouble you're in. God doesn't wa walk the floors of heaven wringing his hands. God never uses uh, Brother Osborne the expression, oops, or oh, if God has a pencil, I promise you, there's no eraser on the end. God owns a typewriter, and I know that dates me. He doesn't have a bottle of liquid paper. White out. There's no delete on God's computer. That's for you that didn't know what a typewriter was. <laughs> Dr. Curtis Hudson, who preached in this, very pulpit said, did it ever occur to you? It's never occurred to God. Friend, you and I can see the conclusion of our calamity. And so it came to pass when we hope in providence, the Bible still says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together to good for them who love God or are the called according to His purpose. Hope in Providence.
you're in a storm tonight, man, I've got good news for you. In the balcony on the main floor, on the main floor on the balcony, I've got good news if you're in a storm. If you're saved, God's still in control. Watching by way of internet, we got people from literally all around the world watching. I don't, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're going through, but as a child of God, no doubt, you may be in the middle of a storm, but I've got good news for you. God's in control. Hope in Providence. I'm closing with this. Back in 2007, one of my heroes, Dr. Sammy Allen, came to hear me preach. I was preaching a revival meeting in Dalton, Georgia. And Brother Mark, if you could help me, sir, how far can I come down for the camera still to get me? He said, I can go all the way up there. Okay, here I come. That's a bachelor pad up there. He's got ice cream and he's got popcorn and ESPN 1 and 2. He's, he ain't watching preaching. He's watching ESPN 1 and 2. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Mark. But one of my heroes, Dr. Sammy Allen, Brother Osborne, came to hear me preach. And, and in my mind and in my thinking and, and, and just in, in my heart, Dr. Sammy Allen was like kind of a Four-star general for old-time religion. I was preaching in Dalton, Georgia. Dr. Allen came two nights to hear me preach and brought a pew and a half with him in his SUV and apologized with Osborne both nights for not bringing more. One night I was preaching, it was a Tuesday night, and I was preaching along the same line, though it wasn't... Um, Dr. Bloom, this message, and I started the invitation, and I took the invitation as far as I felt the Lord would have me take it, and then I turned it over to the pastor, and as I was coming off the platform, um, Brother uh, Carpenter, uh, Dr. Allen, he was on the front row, and as I'm coming off of the platform, before I could get to Dr. Sammy Allen, he got to me. Dr. Sammy Allen, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, like a four-star general for old-time religion. What a powerhouse for God and good. A friend of mine, Dr. Bloom, had him before he graduated to glory. He picked him up for lunch at the motel and said, Dr. Allen, we've got uh, Famous Dave's. we got Olive Garden. We've got Ruby Tuesdays. Where, where would you like to go to eat? And Dr. Sammy Allen looked at him and said, drive through at McDonald's and then take me back to the room because I want to pray for the service. My friend said, I can't have Dr. Sammy Allen for a meeting and take him through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And Dr. Allen said, you asked me what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Drive-thru, McDonald's, two filet of fish sandwiches, a bag of French fries, and a large Diet Coke. <laughs> Dr. Allen loved those filet of fish sandwiches. He said in my presence, Brother Osborne, one time, Dr. Hamlin, these are the greatest filet of fish sandwiches in the world. Don't tell him, I don't believe a word of that. Don't tell him, I love him, but I don't believe a word of it. Not the greatest in the world, I don't believe that. But he did. <laughs> and so my friend said, okay, Dr. Allen, if that's what you want. And they went through the drive-thru, sis, and they put their order in, and they 
went to pay for the meal and get the two filet of fish sandwiches and the bag of french fries and the large Diet Coke. And my friend said that as they were at the window paying for the meal and getting the meal, he said all of a sudden Dr. Hamlin, uh, and I have confidence Dr. Bloom in this individual, he just wasn't talking to bump his gums. He said all of a sudden Dr. Hamlin as we're in that drive through he said all of a sudden, he said there was an unseen heavenly visitor that slipped in that vehicle. He said, Dr. Allen was staring out the front window and all of a sudden he, he turned in the passenger seat and he pushed me back and he leaned down so he could see that girl in the window and he said, young lady, that boy isn't worth it. And leaned back and stared out that front window. My friend who I have great confidence in, Brother Osborne, said to me, that girl started to cry and said, Sir, I don't know who you are, but my Christian grandmother said the very same thing to me this morning. I said, my friend, what would you do? He said, I looked at Dr. Allen and said, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> it's a joke. Not the boy thing, but the other part, that's a joke. By the way, it's interesting what God will let you in on if you walk with Him. It's interesting. I'd preach along the same line that I'm preaching tonight. We can trust God in tempest. We can trust God in trouble. And I started the invitation Dr. Bloom, and I took it as far as I felt the Lord would have me take it, and I turned it over to the pastor, and I came off the platform, and before I could get off the platform, before I could get to Dr. Allen, Dr. Allen got to me. And Brother Song Leader, I'd like you to help me if you would. I'd like for you to come right now, sir. Because I want everyone to get the visual of what happened that night in Dalton, Georgia, when I was preaching, and Dr. Sammy Allen was there. I want you, sir, to stand right there. And I want you to be me and I'll be Dr. Allen and I want you to, I want you to face me if you would. And this is a non-speaking part. You have nothing, all you have to do is just stand there. <laughs> How many ever heard Dr. Sammy Allen preach? Would you raise your hand if you ever heard Dr. Sammy Allen preach? This would be even better since you heard him. Anybody up in the balcony heard Dr. Sammy Allen preach? Dr. Allen was a close talker. Dr. Bloom, I mean no disrespect, one of my heroes, but a close talker, so much so that even when he would call me, I'd, I'd hold the phone way out here. Because <laughs> he's a close talker. And I mean, he, he'd, get, he'd get right up in your grill. I'm, I'm talking in that personal space. He'd get real close. And he was of that generation, and let me just chase a rabbit here for a moment and shoot it, skin it, and give somebody a pair of fluffy, soft slippers. He was of that generation that, that when they spoke to you, he just always expected for you to be looking and, and, and paying attention. And, and if you ever had a conversation with him, you better not be staring at lint floating around or, or an invisible pattern on your socks. I mean, when he talked to you, he expected you to be locked in. And he was a close talker, did I mention that? So preacher, I got done preaching, just like tonight. I mean, I gave it everything I got. Like I always do, leave it all on the field. I mean, no reserve, just, just give it all. 
When I got done, just like tonight, it looked like I'd been playing in a love sprinkler, Brother Rhodes. I turned the service over to the pastor. I came down those platform steps. And before I could get to Dr. Allen, he got to me. Brother Bloom's son, I can't tell it for crying, my friend. And Dr. Allen took both of his hands, put them on my shoulders. And keep in mind, a close talker. <laughs> close talker. Close talker. And he pulled me close and he said, Dr. Hamlin, he said, you and I might be going down High 75 north or south, it doesn't matter. In my car, and you and I may get in a wreck, but we'll never get in an accident. Stay right there. Uh, Brother Osborne, mind you, I just got done preaching my spleen out. Giving it everything I had. And I'm coming on the platform, Dr. Bloom, and he grabs me close talker, pulls me close and says that to me and mentally I'm trying to ch change gears. I'm trying to catch up. I don't want to be disrespectful but I have no clue what he just said to me. No clue. Because <laughs> I just got done preaching. And so I didn't respond quick enough. It's possible he pulled me closer. He said it. He said it all over again. He said, Dr. Hamlin, he said, you and I might be, your wife is enjoying this, you and I might be going down I-75, either north or south, it doesn't matter, in my car, and we may get in a wreck, but we'll never get in an accident. And then he smiled like a jack-o'-lantern on Halloween. And he said, mm, what about it? Mm, what about it? He said, mm, what about it? And I replied, mm, what about it? <laughs> and then he said, there's no accident with providence. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.